edition of the just baseball show because i messed up our schedule on friday i'm arm layton we got peter apple and jack mcmullen here saturday saturday recording i can't tell you the last time we did it but i'm really excited because i've got my eight questions for you and what kind of put this over the top the marlins finally made that trade that we've all talked about on here for a while so we're going to break that down and then i have an apology to issue to braves fans because we talked about biggest strengths of contenders and i fully forgot about the braves so we're going to talk about the braves biggest strength at the end as well peter Thanks for catching the Padres. I would have forgot two teams in that episode. I just brain wasn't there. Just wasn't there mentally in that episode. I don't know what's up. We'll go back. We'll break down the film. We'll figure it out. But uh, looking looking forward to filling in the Braves. You were just uh, projecting Jazz hitting right-handed and playing center field. That yeah. was all over your mind. I understand. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Jack, I, been I knew there. it was on the way. Yeah. I knew it was on the way. And um, I want to tee you guys up first because... I know Peter put out a, a really good breakdown on our TikTok, which, you know, you can usually expect when there's a trade that goes down, like we're going to have a quick reaction. It's generally going to be Peter. So if you want the quick, quick thoughts, definitely follow us there. But I was really excited to unpack this a bit further with you guys, because, of course, I'm a little bit closer to the sun with this whole deal. But at the same time, uh, you could t- kind of zoom out and look at the trade in a vacuum. So I've heard a little bit about Peter's thoughts because I texted him. Jack has his hand up and I haven't talked to Jack much because he was so busy yesterday. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to hear Jack's thoughts on this trade. Uh, between yeah, the well, Marlins. And we can do the full breakdown on it, too, real quick. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking we were going to have like 30 to 45 seconds of non-baseball stuff off the top. And there's been something weighing heavily on me that I needed to get off my chest. If you wouldn't oh, mind that I do that now. Oh, sure. This sure. is what you know. This is the difference. If Peter and I host straight into baseball, if Jack hosts, we're talking about like aliens, climate change. <laughs> okay, anyway, so go ahead. I'm not talking about climate change. I'm talking about the Burger King commercial, the Whopper Whopper. No, no, Whopper. yeah, yeah. Really, don't want to talk about that. So, okay, so a lot of discourse about that, and it's like, oh, that's the worst fast food song ever. False. So unbelievably false. If you don't remember a year ago, played a lot during the NCAA men's basketball tournament, the Wendy's commercial with the DJ Khaled and Migos song, the bag alert major. Oh, yeah. That song is the single shittiest song I've ever heard. So I don't want to hear that the Whopper song is the worst song in fast food commercial history because the major bag alert song. That one, that one's really bad. Well, both are genius if we're going to be real, because we're talking about both of them and everyone continues to meme, especially the latter with with the Whopper song. So like it's pretty genius marketing right there. You got to tip your cap. I'd rather listen to the Migos than the spokesperson for Burger King. Yeah, that's I true. Could, I, I would argue I completely disagree. Completely yeah. disagree. Wow. All right. We can talk about baseball now if you guys right, want. Right. I just need to you got that off that. your chest. Well, thanks. I'm excited to break this down because you got the Marlins and the Twins matching up on a deal that Peter and I broke down in one episode. I think Jack and I have broke it down in another. Like we've talked about this exact trade on the Just Baseball show. Like it's stamped by the JB show uh, for months now, which, you know, I don't think we thought that or at least I didn't think. And we'll talk about that a little bit that 
the Marlins would have to put prospects on top until more recent reports started to come out that the Twins weren't that eager to trade Arias. It was going to have to really, really make sense for them. And the Marlins were kind of cornered. Full breakdown is Luis Arias comes over to the Marlins. Marlins send over Pablo Lopez plus infield prospect Jose Salas plus outfield prospect 17-year-old Byron Chorio, who all I admittedly have barely ever heard of, like only seen his name, don't even know what he looks like. Uh, he's very, very, very young lottery ticket, but did put up good numbers in the DSL for what that's worth. Um, I'll start with Peter and then we'll go to Jack. Peter, we talked about it a little bit, but obviously it wasn't on air and on the podcast. Let's kind of unpack a little bit of, of what your thoughts were, because I, I know I, I gave you a little bit of, of the context from like the Marlins perspective and just, just some of the things that I heard in terms of like what was going on with them in terms of negotiation, but in a vacuum, it's, it's kind of an overpay. And I feel like that's kind of where you stand on this. Yeah, I do feel like it's overpay. I gave the twins an A grade and I gave the Marlins a B minus. And the only reason I gave them a B minus instead of like a C plus or a C is you can't debate that there are trading from a strength. And the Marlins, you know, they're not the best team in the world, but what they do have is a surplus of starting pitching. I mean, you could go down the line and there's even some guys who might be their sixth or seventh starter, guys in the minor leagues who could come up come up and compete and be a solid starting pitcher. Like for example, Braxton Garrett, who we saw last yeah. year, he was a good lefty. And like you put him in the rotation. Now Dax Fulton fight. is rising up ranks, you know, Jake eater. You got Yuri Perez, the alien. And that's just in the minor leagues. That doesn't even count all of the guys that are currently in the big league rotation. But the reality is, you and I were speaking on December 14th. You and Jack were speaking. And the deal that you requested for Pablo Lopez is vastly different. Yep. It was Pablo Lopez for Luis Arise in pieces. But now it's Pablo Lopez in pieces for Luis Arise. So it's kind of self-inflicted. You put it perfectly. It's self-inflicted by the Marlins where they waited this long. They knew they were going to trade Pablo Lopez. The writing was on the wall when they got Johnny Cueto. So they backed themselves into a corner and said, please, anyone give us a deal. And the twins pounced. And that's why the twins did so well. You're trading the batting champ, but that was his best year by far. This is a guy who's had war numbers in the 1.6s range last year, 3.2. I believe in it moving forward. I'm not saying that he won't be that hitter moving forward, but what we've seen so far, that was a career year. And Pablo Lopez, his war numbers have been what around Luis Arise did last year. So the Marlins got the bat, which is important. Jack, you had a great tweet. <laughs> We he got batting. batting. Jesus. Right, Jack? I mean, that that was my takeaway. The Marlins did fine. The Twins did awesome. Yeah. Any, so any it, other thoughts, Jack? Yeah. I mean, it feels like the, the Cardinals try or the uh, Marlins. Sorry. It, it feels like the I can Marlins. I see why you can confuse the two very successful and well-run. Top franchises. flight organizations. Yeah. yeah, yeah it it feels like the Marlins try to cut a lot of corners on the field. I guess they're also trying to cut some corners in the social media department because they hired somebody that doesn't really know baseball to tweet. You guys said you wanted batting. We got yeah. it. Are you kidding me? Everyone's <laughs> been clamoring for batting. Yeah. I don't think so. Mm. Um, yeah. I, just a couple things to add here. Byron Chorio was born in 2005. <laughs> I remember shit that happened in 2005. Yeah, I know. We were at that stage. 
What do you like, mean? That's, that's when the White Sox won the World Series, dude. Yeah, I know. Also, you said that uh, you said that you've never seen Chorio's face. According to MILB.com, this is Byron Chorio's <laughs> face. So it, it is just one of those gray, generic baseball players. And when you search Byron Chorio and go to Google Images, the first five images are of Luis Arise. I thought it was going to be Jackson Chorio. <laughs> Even worse, it's Luis Arias. Um. I mean, I, I texted it to you guys yesterday. Like, it's just so weird that Pablo Lopez got traded and the Marlins gave up more to move him. Yes. Like, shouldn't you get multiple pieces for the proven 26-year-old starter with two years of control here? Um, but they move for a guy that's going to hit 320, 320, 320, and you still gave up one of your better, better middle infield prospects and a guy with out of headshot. So, I mean, it's, it was just a weird move to me. And I'm not saying that anybody lost because the Marlins absolutely traded from a surplus and they filled a gap that they needed. But now like a rise playing second base and jazz moving to center is that's part of the reason why. So I was on the fence about asking you guys to record a pod. And then the second I saw Craig Mish tweet, Kim Ang says Jazz is going to play center, which I was just expecting a presser on Arias, talk about where Arias is going to play and, you know, give Pablo as well wishes. No, Kim wanted to get it all out in one presser. Not only are we playing Arias at second, Jazz is going to center field. So that's something we'll get to in a second because that's a crazy other aspect of this. But I do want to talk about like just and and I wrote a whole piece up on this trade. I'll link it in the in the podcast description uh, from both teams perspective for the Twins and for the for the Marlins. Real quick on the Twins, uh, you know, I think Pablo Lopez, because of the second half that he had, which was a little bit rough, which I really do think that the the trade talks for so long, he literally thought he was going to be traded at the last moment of the deadline. I really think that took a bit of a toll on him overall, you know, really proved that he could log the innings. 180 last year was great. He was among the top 30 starting pitchers in baseball and F4. And uh, even with the the blow up starts in the second half, which was just a couple of them, the Mets really kind of got the best of them more than anybody else. Still put together a sub four ERA, still puts together good strikeout to walk ratio. Like this guy's going to guaranteed give you high to mid threes and give you six, seven innings very, very, very frequently. And that's what the twins need, right? The, the one thing is they don't have an ace. If you're not going to have an ace, at least have a bunch of three types, right? And Sonny Gray is capable of being high-end three. Tyler Malley, same thing. Pablo Lopez, same thing. They get Maeda back. We talked about Joe Ryan, who had a really good rookie season, could make that leap as well. And I want to just put something in perspective here. People are like, oh, we kind of know what Pablo is. Pablo and Joe Ryan are the same age. So, like, Pablo could still get a lot better, right? This is a guy that could continue to improve. I think with the Marlins, the writing was on the wall. He was their least controllable arm. Move him. But for the Twins, they now get a guy with two years of control, uh, and they'll probably be able to extend. And I I think this makes the rotation a lot better. Where do you guys stand on this rotation for the Twins now before I, you know, wrap a bow on the Marlins side of it, too? So I said that Pablo Lopez is the most 40 looking 26 year old I've ever seen. He looks 15 years older than what he actually is. But um, I like the move for the twins a lot because they're obviously trying to win right now. And they stuck with the Correa saga, right? It was, oh, damn, we lost him to San Fran. Oh, damn, we lost him to New York. But the second they saw that they could pounce again, they did. 
and talking about cutting corners, they probably cut corners in the physical department. They don't care because Correa was still like a five-ish win player for them this past year. So they know he's going to provide really good leadership and really good on-field product when he is on the field. You pair him with Polanco in the middle infield. We've talked about Buxton's volatility, but then we talk about Royce Lewis, right? Royce is expected back. Jose Miranda, they move off a rise to give Miranda everyday reps. And Kirilov. And Kirilov, they go and get Joey Gallo, and who knows what Gallo's going to be, but he's going to be a lot better than he was with the Yankees. I promise you that. What they needed was pitching depth. And on the back end, you've got Yohan Duran, who looks like one of the best closers in baseball to this point, one of the very few that averaged over 100 miles an hour on his fastball. Okay, how do you get to Yohan Duran, right? And your answer was Joe Ryan, and that's kind of it, right? We were talking about Bailey Ober at the start of last year. He was cooking. He was ready to win me that bet. Sonny Gray Gray just needs to stay healthy, and he's up there, but he just has to stay healthy, and that's that's a big if sometimes. Yeah, and, right. and I'll, I'll save a little bit of, more on like the exact breakdown of the rotation because that's actually going to be one of my questions. But it definitely, you know, uh, this was a rotation that was probably the the definition of average, maybe a little bit subpar. I think it was where subpar, would you yeah. pe- peg it now with the addition of Pablo if it was subpar before? And I think a high end subpar, right? Like more in the fifteen to twenty range. Where would you put this rotation now? So as of right now, it lines up Gray, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Tyler Malley, Kenta Maeda. I'd say that's in the 12 to 15 range instead of 15 to 20, which is that's a, a big difference. It's a big difference. And I would almost say I'd argue name me 10 better rotations than that. Like it oh. is it is probably closer to that range. I would say more 10 to 12. And I think the one thing that we're also forgetting um, just to wrap again on the twin side is that. You guys mentioned it. They are also trading from a strength. So the Marlins are trading from their pitching surplus. But now you get Alex Kirloff at first base, Jose Miranda at third base, and they have Royce Lewis coming up, not to mention Carlos Correa and Jorge Polanco. So they were just kind of stashing Luis Arise at first base when it's clear that he can play a bunch of different positions, too. So Mm -hmm. Luis Arise hitting 316 at his best at first base isn't as valuable to the Twins as it might be playing second base for the Marlins. So while the Marlins traded from a strength of pitching, the Twins did the same and they got pieces. Yeah, That's why I thought it was such a good deal for the Twins. Opening day starting lineup for the Minnesota Twins. Christian Vasquez catching Alex Kirilov at first. You've got Jorge Polanco at second, Correa at short, Miranda at third, Joey Gallo in left, Byron Buxton in center, Max Kepler in right, Nick Gordon is the DH. I think Edward Julian is there really quickly. That's a lineup that can contend in the AL Central. And and Stay what's healthy. crazy and what's crazy is, is we talk about the, the to the strength that they have in the middle infield. It's also organizational, right? Like it's it goes beyond that. Well, you got guys like Julian in the upper minors. You got Brooks Lee already in double A. You know, yep. looking like he's on a fast track to the big leagues. And then Gordon's a guy that plays predominantly middle infield. They put him in center field a little bit more as well. And they added Kyle Farmer even as a depth piece. So they just have so many infielders that, yeah, if you can convert one of them into a starting pitcher, this is the way to do it. And I think that's why the Twins asking price was so high, right? At the end of the day, I really think that this trade should always have been a one for one. Pretty much don't add anything yeah. else. Like it's, yeah. if anything, I think the Marlins should have probably got something back. I think a combination of Pablo Lopez's shoulder issues, right? We saw the Frankie Montes trade. And at that time, all of us were like, whoa, that's a little light, right? And now we're looking at it like, man, they might not get what they were hoping out of Montes because of that arm. And 
at least the A's got some some pieces here, especially with Ken Waldachuk. But in a vacuum, we thought that was a light return because shoulder concerns are huge for teams. And Lopez did some some good things to hedge that concern with 180 innings last year. But he yeah. still missed starts with shoulder discomfort and he's missed starts with shoulder discomfort every single year. So I think that's something that definitely held the twins back a little bit. And they were kind of saying, look, we don't want to move Arias. You got to make us move Arias. You got to really convince us. And for the Marlins, ultimately, that was trading Jose Salas and Churio. For me, I, I, yes, I'd rather not give up Salas. And in a barren system, you can't really afford to trade one of your top 10 guys. But yeah. that being said, if I have an opportunity to upgrade my lineup and I'm a general manager like Kim Ang, who wants to prove that that she deserves a job beyond this year, I'm not letting Jose Salas stop me from upgrading my lineup, right? And the other thing that I think people really uh, on Twitter, Marlins fans don't totally understand is they're like, oh, they, they could have got a better deal for Pablo. No, no, they couldn't have. Maybe in terms of pure value for a prospect return, sure. But the Marlins were never interested in a prospect return. And like I talked about in the piece, there's very few teams why you don't see big leaguer for big leaguer trades. It's so rare. That's why the Yankees trade of Montgomery and Bader was super rare. And, and that was floated reportedly for Pablo as well. Like I, I feel like it's, it's really hard to find the big leaguer for big leaguer trade. Yet a lot of teams that were willing to offer the Marlins prospects, but they don't want to subtract from their big league team for a pitcher with two years of control. Cause they're in win now mode. The twins were that rare surplus for surplus match. And they kind of knew that. And like you talked about in the beginning, Peter, they knew that they had the Marlins backed into a corner. And they squeezed a couple of prospects out of them. I think that's really it. I have a question. Yeah. Why aren't the Marlins looking for prospects? Does Luis Arise make them compete today? Because it's, it's a funny question, but like it's the reality of the no, situation. I'd be looking but for Arise prospects. in the lineup. Like, I'd be I mean, but on the flip side, I thought about that because I would be looking for prospects. But you've got three years of Arise and you, you can maybe extend him. That's going to be better than than any prospect you're going to you're going to have coming up anytime soon. They have no he reinforcement. Too. Coming, it's right? not like you just got a 31 year old first baseman. Correct. He's 25. 25. Yeah, yeah, I get so that. I think for them, they're like, we're we have had no luck with hitting prospects. Let's get a guy that we know can already hit at the big league level. And if we extend him for two more years beyond the three, that's five years of control, just like he was a rookie, just like he was a prospect. So I, that's the thing, too. They better extend him. But I see fans upset about Salas. I see Fangraph super high on him. I watched him a lot in the fall league. He could be a very good player. He's 19 years old and an 88 WRC plus in high A uh, with really low exit VLOs and is probably going to move off a shortstop. Still a nice prospect, not losing sleep over that. Can I um, Can I um, code what Arm just said? Marlins fans, he's being very nice about Jose Salas. He's being very <laughs> nice about him. Let's be real. All right, Jack. <laughs> uh, you said that the Marlins got a guy who they know can hit. I think the Marlins got a guy who they know can bat. Um, oh one God. last thing, oh one God. last thing on both sides. I'm sorry. Last thing on both <laughs> sides. We didn't mention that the twins may have one of the better sixes in baseball. RM, you and I are both really high on Simeon Woods Richardson. Yeah, um, yeah. Like if one of those five goes down, that is the best depth piece in a farm, maybe in baseball right now, aside from the top prospects, just because he is like, Floor is five. Ceiling is three. He's 90 to 92 with an elite changeup. He's really fun. So Simeon Woods Richardson could be the guy for the Marlins. I'm glad they moved Pablo and not Rogers or Edward Cabrera, because personally, Pablo was the one that should have gone. He was, you know, almost like phased out. Right. And yes, he was the second most successful pitcher for the Marlins last year. You could argue. I mean, Edward was better, but way more limited sample size. 
but you can dream on so much more and, with Edward Cabrera. And he's the least controllable arm. So, at, like, going back to answering Peter's question, at least they traded the arm with the least control to try to focus on the future. Now the whole rotation is under control for, for four plus years. So yes. that's that's the good news there. Sounds like the Marlins did really well here, Arm. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> um, they did okay. Uh, but you know what? It makes them way more watchable offensively. Oh, last thing, Jazz Chisholm and center. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, so I saw, you know, I even posted something where, you know, they already moved Jazz from short to second. And then with a couple of months left in the offseason, they're saying, not only do you have to learn, you don't have to learn an infield position, you have to go play center field. And, you know, he's an athletic guy. I saw a lot of people under the thread saying, you know, he can handle it. I saw Jazz come out and say, I think it was what? Who did he say this to where he says, I think Mish, go out Mish there tweeted it. Mish tweeted that, that win a gold something glove. along the lines that like Kim mentioned that center field was a possibility. He said, if, if yeah. you need me to play center, I'll go win a gold glove, which is Jazz's attitude. That's of he course. Is. And he's athletic. Like, I, I'm not I'm not saying that he can't do it, but it's almost like saying, you know, let's get any athletic shortstop. Let's get any athletic infielder and just put them in center. That's how like, Royce yes, Lewis in hindsight, again. It, it sounds good. Like they should be able to be okay out there because they are freak athletes, but it's not a good plan for a guy who's been banged up that's, his whole that's, career so far. That's that's the thing is they move him from shortstop to second base signing injury concerns, and then you move him to center, which is a way bigger liability and toll on your body. To me, it, it makes me feel like the injury concerns were, were kind of just a, a crutch and they were really just didn't like him defensively at short, to be honest, because um, he was pretty brutal there. He, he played second base last year for 60 games and and got knee surgery and had a fractured back. Like it, it, at the end of the day, it, I don't know if you can really shelter him from injury. So I'm OK with rolling the dice, but let's call it what it is. They think that Jazz Chisholm is better for them in center field than shortstop. And I think that says a lot about how they feel about his shortstop defense. I'm interested to see him try. I'm glad he's on board for it. Uh, well, hopefully he can stay healthy. I'm concerned because you see a Royce Lewis out there last year uh, after, you know, obviously not being able to play short because of Correa. Lewis, I've watched this play recently because I made a thread for him. I didn't put this play in there because I didn't want to put him getting injured in the thread, but he made a phenomenal catch in center. You're not used to jumping up against a wall and landing. He landed funny and his knee buckled and he tore his ACL. Like Jazz is going to be reckless. He's going to be diving all over the place. That's the way he plays baseball. That's why we love him. But it's a lot scarier with having reckless abandonment in center field than second base. And and that's my biggest concern. We're, we're, we're talking about a player that the Marlins have been trying to tell to tone it down and, and, and conserve his body. And now you're throwing him in center field. I'm okay with the Marlins saying kind of, it's like, fuck it ball, really. It's just like, let's see yeah. what happens. But this like is your that. best player who struggles to stay on the field, and it just reeks of desperation to me. That said, it's going to be fun to watch. Jack, that's a good quote. Fuck it, ball. That was kind of hot, like how casual he dropped the F-bomb. And too. look how good Arm is at being so angry, but professionally laying it out and almost making me like the deal for the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, no, I still hate the deal. This for the is Marlins. what years of hosting a, a Marlins podcast by yourself will do. You got to find a way job. to communicate it. To what, the people that still care. If this happened for the Yankees, I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> haven't prepared anything. It'd be all emotional. And it'd, I'd probably be saying um and like and just a bunch of filler words because I wouldn't know how to put it into words. But you're doing a great job. The Marlins won the deal. I, I'm, I'm yeah, confident in that now. Yeah, thank good job. <laughs> hey, speaking of hosting a Marlins podcast by himself, we are all huge fans of Peter Pratt. Goat. 
I would love to get Pratt on the pod just to. Oh, we, to we, we can do that. We okay. Do that. I want, I want to talk to Pratt like that. Absolute guy. scenes. Okay. Absolute, absolute scenes. scenes. I'm all in. He just I, shared I, my article. It was, it was very nice. Very, perfect. Very nice. I yeah. I'm that. trying to get Pratt on the pod. Um, Peter, can you bet on the gold glove? Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't think so. Now that I think about it, I've never seen lines for that now. Well, if you find some offshore gambling site, I would go to your local bank. I would take out as large a loan as you can, and I would put it on Michael Harris. And of course, it's not gambling, gambling advice. advice. There we go. Thanks, Peter. I like how you take um, me up for that one. Uh, via Craig Mish, Jazz Chisholm said, quote, I will go out, play the position, and win a gold glove. At Money Mike with three Ys and three E's, quote tweeted with the eyes emoji. Jazz replied and said, you know what's up. Michael Harris said, let's do it. Michael Harris is going to put together the best defensive season <laughs> in baseball history. Promise. He's my favorite player, I think, at this point, Michael Harris. is. He's awesome. I think one of the funniest things that you've said to Jack is I want to just go back to it quickly before we get to arms questions is the 320, 320, 320 slash line. Because I was like always projecting his batting average for the next three years. And I realized like it's not that that far off from (laughs) what he's going to do. 316, 375, 420 last year. 314, 374, 410 on his career. He's getting a little too close to Nick Madrigal. Yeah, Sorry, it's not his buddy. It's not his 340, 340, 340. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fucking gas. He, <laughs> like, that's the crazy part. Would have led all Marlins position players and basically every single statistic. So uh, that's the other thing, too. Hits, Marlins fans had singles. <laughs> Marlins fans complaining about, you know, not getting a bat. Then they get one of the better bat to ball guys and, and probably the best bat that they're going to get on the Oh, market. they got batting, baby. They, they got, got it. batting. Marlins <laughs> got an A in this. What a deal. What else are you going to get? All right. You ready for these questions? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to start it with, with a question off of this trade, and then we Perfect. will get far as hell away from this trade for the rest of the question. No, we should stay on it for the rest of the episode. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. Who has, I might circle back on it actually with my eighth question. I'm going to decide which one I want to do. Who has a higher F war in 2023, Luis Arias or Pablo Lopez? So Arias this past season, 3.2 F war in 144 games. Pablo Lopez, 2.8 F war in 180 innings. This was the most innings Pablo has ever thrown, but you know, also had some blow up starts down the stretch as for Arias. It was his first season really playing more than 120 games, playing 144 this year. Obviously, his best offensive year, um, 3.2 F4 is pretty solid. Should be very close. Who has the better F4? Worth noting, Pablo Lopez, kind of iffy home road splits. But Arias, contact-oriented guy going into a large park and playing more second base, which I think his, his struggles there are overblown. He's like kind of fine. You look at the... DRS and OAA, he's been fine there. Um, at second? It's not going to be the same as first. Yeah, Arise has been fine at second base over the last couple I, of years. I see. Okay, over the last couple of years, yeah, his his 2019 season docked him like crazy on his 22. career. On his career, minus two defensive run saves, minus 15 outs above average, but he was minus 10 in 2019. How about the last... Two years. Last two years, he's the two full seasons he played. Five defensive runs saved, and in terms of outs above average, he's minus two. Yeah, so he's. I think he's kind of average at second base now. He's fine, which is yeah. that's all they need is fine. So, who has the better F four in twenty twenty three? 
Jack, you want to go first or you want me to? Yeah, I'll go first. I think it's going to be a rise because I think a rise is going to play more consistently. I think that he's got a chance with those improved defensive metrics to like, you know, accumulate those and accumulate war at second base as opposed to being like a first base DH type for Minnesota. So uh, I, I think that he's going to benefit from that. Um, and then Pablo, like Minnesota, if we've learned anything over the last couple of years, Minnesota is kind of a tough place to pitch. So we'll see if if Pablo can deal with that. That's also a guy that's, I mean, from Latin America, right? Uh, was pitching in Miami and now he goes to Minnesota. Spoiler alert, it's cold as shit in Minnesota. So yeah, that hinders batters, but pitchers that are not used to that, he might struggle mightily out of the gates. Like for the first two months, it's That's kind a of big weather guy. It's kind of miserable in Minnesota. Like growing up in the yeah, Midwest, but don't they play in a dome? The Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, growing up in the Midwest and like going to Cubs games in April, going to White Sox games, like it has snowed in Chicago in April. It's snowed in Chicago in May. And, you know, the White Sox and Twins, they always have games that are snowed out in Minneapolis in the first two months of the season. So I Pablo could hurt from weather. Um, I, I think that a rise is going to settle in much quicker than Pablo Lopez is. Yeah, it's funny. Luis rise, you know, you, you don't want to put a hitter in a bigger ballpark, but if there's one hitter who may benefit from the larger outfield, it's Luis rise. Yeah. Um, I do think, I do think second base defense will hurt him because he's played it in spurts, but he hasn't been a full-time second baseman. And while I don't think it's going to be negative nine defensive runs saved, yeah. I think he will be in the negative. I think he'll be a below average defender at second base. Um, but you have injury concerns with Pablo Lopez. You don't with Luis Arise. So I would say Luis Arise is a safe answer. But what I will say is that if Pablo Lopez can give us 180 to 190 innings and his shoulder looks good, I think not facing the Mets because the Mets, like to your Mets point, arm, owned him. him. Owned him. I think, you know, a complete change of pace. You're facing completely different lineups who don't know you as well. They don't know your stuff as well. And I know that every organization have, has tons of data. But if there is a division that lacks data besides the Guardians, it might be the American League Central. So I oh, think got more Pablo on Lopez, if Pablo Lopez stays healthy, I think they will be around the same but I can't guarantee that for Lopez when I feel that I can guarantee it based on past history with Luis Arise. So I'm going to go with the rise. But if Lopez stays healthy, I think it's around a push. I know. Mm -hmm. That's why that's why I wanted to start with that question, because, you know, I think they're pretty much going to be right. It's going to be a matter of point one. Point I think they're two. both going to be three war guys. Yep. I think they're both going to be between three to three, five. And whoever kind of has that strong finish and it stays on the field more at the, you know, towards the end of the year. That could be the difference, but I, I agree with you guys. I think Arise is safer, but Lopez could feasibly again. He's going to be 27 by the time the season starts. Could feasibly take the next step, right? And and look more like that high end three uh, that we saw in spurts, and, and we we've seen him look like a top 30 pitcher. So wouldn't surprise me at all. But I agree, Arise is definitely the safer option, and he's going to get a lot of abs at the top of the Marlins order. That's for sure. And they'll yeah. move him around at first base, maybe a little DH as well. Speaking of spacious outfields, that'll lead us to question number two. And I know Jack will love this one. Actually, I know Peter will love this one, too, uh, based on what he said about him going into last year. 
Chris Bryant had an OPS of 851 before going down last season in his debut with the Rockies. Does he top that with a presumably full season this year? I looking. So we're obviously doing our top tens and our top tens are coming out. I think we might have ranked Chris Bryant a little bit lower than we should based on us thinking the Rockies are hilarious based on Chris Bryant. What playing 35 games last 42. year? Yeah, 42. I think he's going to be around that mark. I think he's going to be between an 830 to an 850 OPS. Um, it's just how many games is he going to play? So 851, I'm going to go under, but 851 OPS is an incredible number. Like Luis Arise, for example, had a 795 OPS. 850 is an 850. I'm going to go under, but I think he's going to be around there. And the more I look at Chris Bryant, the more I think we should put him higher in our top tens. You remember when Chris Bryant, or remember when Peter wrote a Chris Bryant MVP article last year? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, I say this with as much bias as humanly possible. I think Chris Bryant is a 900 OPS guy next year. <laughs> like I, I love him. I with a burning passion. The guy walks. He hits nukes. Um, I think him in a full season of healthy in Colorado is going to be electric. Um, I that's just a guy that I like latched on to and never let go. And I, I don't know. There's just something endearing about him, but. On those Cubs teams, he was so far and away my favorite Cub to watch. Like Rizzo was obviously the captain, and I know Peter loves Rizzo and all that. And Baez was frustrating as hell, and, and Wilson was good. But, I mean, it was always like Chris Bryant that, you know, obviously he was the MVP, right? He was the rookie of the year. He was the number two overall pick. Um, this guy, I mean, yeah, he had some down years, right? It, particularly in 2020. Like 2020 was terrible. But you look at WRC plus by year, right? His MVP season, that was 2016 when they won it. He had a 148 WRC plus. He comes back in 151 games, 147 WRC plus, 126, 134. Then that's 77, 124 in 2021, 125 in a moment. This guy has been a consistently great hitter. And you put him in the most hitter-friendly environment in baseball, I think he thrives. And that's why I think he could be that 900 OPS guy. Jackie so, convinced me I'm going over. 879 Perfect. for his career. So both of you say over 851. Yeah. yeah. I he totally convinced me. You're right. He rakes. He, he rakes. rakes. He's like fucking awesome. 47 WRC plus is like what Freddie Freeman has put up the past two years. Chris, Chris Bryant was Bryant an eight rakes. war player in 2016. That was a long time ago, but like he's got that in the oh, tank. Yeah, he was, was a lot of when I graduated high school. Yeah, combine Pablo fired. Lopez and Luis Arise, you get Chris Bryant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, not a big F war guy over the last few years. And and I the, the reason why I brought the question up is the last full season we saw from him was, you know, he did have a change of scenery between Chicago and San Francisco, 835 OPS that year. So I agree. I think he tops it if he plays. I, I don't think people realize how solid he was for the 42 games. Uh not as much not as much power as we thought, you know, only the five home runs, but spacious, a lot of doubles, and he, he's been more of that guy over the last couple of years. So I agree. I'm gonna take the over as well. Isn't he still looking for his first home run at Coors? I think he is. Is yeah. he actually? Yeah, he had yeah, five on I the think, road, zero at home. Yeah. He's looking for his first home run at Coors Field. Tough place to home run. Um all right, next up, 
Which middle infield duo accumulates the highest F war in 2023? Last year, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil led all middle infield duos with a 12.7 F war. Does any middle infield beat them in 2023? If so, who? Urshela and Renhifo. <laughs> um, I'll sleep on that one, honestly. If we're talking about F war, the first duo that comes to mind is the Houston Astros duo with Pena and Altuve, um, because Pena is going to generate an incredible amount of war with the defense. And if he makes some of those adjustments, I think Arm, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you do a thread on him? There was some times where he got off to a fast start offensively. Then he kind of went into a lull and then we saw him roar back in the playoffs. Like, I think if he is a 110 WRC plus guy, he could be a five war player. And then Altuve could be a six and a half to seven war player. He's still one of the best in baseball. So that was a 12-7 by them. I could see Altuve and Jeremy Pena putting up that type of production. Jack? It's going to be McNeil and Lindor. I do think so, because those two are just like that. That's the best middle infield tandem in baseball. Um, I'm going to give you three tandems and I want you to rank where they are in the contender rankings as opposed to, you know, Lindor and McNeil. Right. So if Lindor and McNeil are one, we're fighting for second here, two, three and four. Texas, Seager and Semyon. Um, Minnesota, Polanco and Correa. And San Diego, who I think is number two, Bogarts and Kim, who combined for nine point eight. I would take Pena and Altuve over every single one of those except the Mets. And I would think about taking them over the Mets. I really would. Like, I would way rather have Pena and Altuve over Cray and Polanco. I really would. And Kim and Bogarts. I mean, Bogarts will see with the defense, with the lack of shift. Like, we saw a lot of his defensive metrics tick up in his different positioning, whether it be, you know, in short right field or over the bag where he won't be able to do that as much. Like, let's see him play a full season at shortstop. I still think he's going to be around average, maybe even below average at the position. And I just don't think Haseon Kim is going to hit enough to really put up a four or five war season. I think he's going to be in the twos and threes. He so was three seven last year. Yeah. Three seven last year playing shortstop. But yeah, so, no, he's, he's a great defender, but I just, I don't know. But pushing back, we get a full year of confident Kim because 2021, obviously, Kim stunk. He probably wasn't that confident going into 2022, and he built it as the year went on. Good second half. Now, yeah, like now he knows he belongs at the major league level. Now he knows he belongs as an everyday guy. He's going to get a chance for everyday reps at second base. So that's why I don't trust Xander as much. What? I don't trust Xander as much. Yeah, here's my thinking. Would you rather have Jeremy Pena or Haseon Kim? Um, Pena. at second base, yeah. No, Pena. just who puts up more war, and then oh, Altuve Pena. or Bogarts. I'd go Altuve. I think it's two zero. So what I will say is, I think there's a chance that Seager and Semyon just go fucking nuclear and put Seager up. Seager like is a- gonna go nuclear. Yeah, Seager is gonna go crazy. I was listening I'm- to Foolish break him down, like with the banning of the shift, and we've said this before. This is like. Um, You look at the shift numbers, you look at what he did, and he could be one of the best hitters in baseball. The only problem is he plays around average defense. Maybe it's tick above. Um, 
So, yeah, the offensive production from those two, I think, will be number one. But a combination of defense and offense, I think you get that from both Lindor McNeil and Pena Tuve. And I just feel those two are the step above. Then you get into the the tier below. And I even think that Edmund and Donovan could compete here. I mean, Donovan yeah, showed that he could play great defense and, and really be a stud over there at second. And then... Tommy Edmond is a war accumulator. And then we can't forget about IKF and Glaber. <laughs> so I will say, I mean, when you have an Altuve who's ninth in among position players in F4 last season and tied for, it's actually technically tied for seventh with Jordan and Mookie Betts at 6.6, like that, that's going to get be a really good start. Um, so I, I'm with Peter on that one. I think the Rangers are are within striking distance too. If Semyon looks more like second half Semyon, Everybody loves Seager as that breakout guy. Those two guys together, especially with Semyon's defense as well, that's a middle infield duo that could easily get to 12-plus right away. But gun to my head, I'm still sticking with the Mets guys because I think McNeil is the definition of consistent. And Lindor, I mean, I I think with his glove and and already, you know, we know what he can do with the bat. It feels like he's a guarantee for a six-win season every single year, 6.8 F4 last year. Also, don't sleep on uh, Turner and Stott. Stott could put up four war next year, and we see Trey Turner putting up six, six and a half. That could be a really good middle infield tandem, too. And then a rise and Jacob Amaya. (laughs) A rise and and, uh, Joey Wendell, John Birdie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what's the final answer there? Jack sticking with the Mets. Peter going Houston. I'm going Houston. And who are you going with? I'm sticking with the Mets. Okay. But I like, like Houston that. a lot. I think they're right there. I, I yeah. do like that pick. I just the Mets are the safest, safest yeah. for me. I agree. The defense it just. But Pena, Pena is a big X factor there because he could. I could see him putting up identical three and a half win season. I could see him taking another leap and being in the five win department. So, uh, very interested to see how he looks there. Battle of mediocre rotations here. Last year, the White Sox and the Cardinals posted identical FIPs at 3.96, which slotted exactly in the middle of the pack of Major League Baseball. Which rotation will have a better FIP in 2023? And notice I said FIP because you have the Chicago White Sox who have not the best defenders, and you have the Cardinals who have the best defenders. So I want to try to remove that from the equation here. Both were at 396 last year. Neither did much to address their rotation. Who looks better in 2023, statistically speaking? Jack, I'm going to go with your White Sox. Um, And the reason I'm going with the White Sox is arm to your point. Yes, the defense is not nearly as good as the Cardinals, but moving Vaughn out of the outfield is certainly going to help. Now you just have one hole with Gavin Sheets because Luis Robert can still go get it with the best of them. You know, Timmy A, a full season of him at shortstop. He's not the best defender in the world, but he's still solid. Moncada at third, uh, me at second, and, you know, whoever they have at first. It's it's a below average defensive team. It's not in the garbage. And I think that the White Sox rotation has much more upside than the Cardinals do, especially with the potential injuries that the back half of the Cardinals rotation could have. Um, You know, we make fun of the Padres rotation and the Cardinals could be dealing with similar issues there. Um, You know, I do think Lance Lynn will be fine. I think Clevenger will be fine. I think Giolito will bounce back slightly. And then you have one of the best pitchers in baseball in Dylan Cease. And when Kopech is on, he is electric. I think this rotation has more upside. 
And if it's a decision of, do I trust the White Sox on defense marginally? Like that's probably what's going to lower I picked them. Fifth. That's exactly. why I fifth. And that's why it's a really good question, but I'm still siding with the White Sox. Jack, are you Cardinals are kind of your favorite team. Cardinals are kind of my favorite team, but I mean, the on paper, the White Sox rotation is just so much better. And that is strictly by name recognition, right? Like Lance Lynn may suck with his five iterations of fastball. It feels like Bartolo Colon, but instead just a burly white man. Yeah. And I, I mean, say, similar like, builds at this point, similar builds at this point. But I think Cease like could actually win the Cy Young this year with Verlander out of the American League. I mean, I don't think it ceases to lose. I actually still think it's Shane McClanahan's to lose. Um, but I think that it's going to be Cease and McClanahan up top, and those two are going to be battling. So you've got the possible Cy Young winner headlining a rotation that features Lucas Giolito, who, yes, I'm not a fan of the way he's pitching right now at all, but we know that there's something in the tank with Giolito. Kopech, we know that this guy can bunker down and get through seven scoreless. And Clevenger, I mean, he's a wild card. I feel better about the volatility in the White Sox rotation than I do the super, super capped ceiling of the Cardinals rotation. My worry here is, is starting pitching depth because this is an injury-laden rotation. And Davis Martin's your six. I like Davis Martin. But after that, it's what? Jonathan Stever, Sean Burke, maybe Matthew Thompson and Drew Dahlquist who were in double A. Like, that's really bad. I could see them going for like that mid-season free agent pickup. Cueto was huge for them. And oh, he like was the Vince Velasquez? The Vince yeah, Velasquez like that sucks. Cycle. Yeah, it sucks. But you know what? Like Cueto last year was perfect, right? You audition him in AAA. He looked good enough. And all of a sudden he was great in the rotation. He earned himself another major league deal. I think they try and replicate the, the Cueto type deal. I don't think they do anything with success, but we'll see. So my big, my biggest question is this, you know, basically, and I know it's not always this like a to B, but you lose Johnny Cueto um, who put up a three, seven, six FIP last year. And you plug in Mike Clevenger who looks like a, a shell of himself, and hopefully he can regain some of his form over there in Chicago. Is Clevenger going to put up a 3.76 FIP? Because when we talk about Cease, I do think Cease is better than 3.1. Um, and we're not talking about ERA because I wanted, again, to remove defense from the equation there. If someone's wondering, why does he keep saying FIP? Lance Lynn, ultimately 3.82 is better than than I thought off the top of my head. 4.06 FIP for Giolito, not bad. And to Peter's point about Kopech, He's got to be better than a four five FIP. Like we we know how good Kopech can be. We've seen it. Uh, he just wasn't right last year. Who of those guys do you expect to make the leap? Because also you need to to fill the void of Johnny Cueto, who, in terms of statistics and value as it pertains specifically to this question, was the second most weighted FIP in that rotation behind Dylan Cease. Like he was the second most valuable in driving it down uh, compared to everybody else. So. That's my only concern. Cardinals have Jaymont now for the whole season. Wayno, you know, I think is going to be Wayno still. And ultimately, I think the rotation is marginally better than it was last year. Hopefully, they get something out of Jack Flaherty. Hopefully, they get something out of Steven Matz. They got nothing out of them last year. Um, I, I, I think it could be the Cardinals. I think it could be the Cardinals. I guess what I will say is Clevenger is big here. Three seven nine fippers for his career. Three four nine eight last year. You know, if he could be four two, like that helps a lot. Um, but I agree. Like 
with the questions with the Cardinals rotation, there are equal amount of questions with the White Sox rotation in terms of health. Like Kopech, what kind of health are we going to see from him? That's a big cog. If he gives you 170 innings and he's healthy, he could be amazing. But but he could also give you 30 innings next year (laughs) and like be bounced into the bullpen. Like we just don't know. So it's an interesting question. I would side with the White Sox just because of more upside. But I do agree with you, Arm. I think the safest answer is the Cardinals with that defense. I'm being risk averse. I'm going, I'm going Cardinals. I just think these guys are steady. I think you could see a Lance Lynn implosion. You could see a Clevenger implosion. You could see even, like you said, a Kopech implosion to a degree. The only guy I really trust in that rotation is Dylan Cease. You see a Giolito um, implosion. Yeah, yeah, we kind of did. Yeah. Um, so, like, and, and his his stuff points towards you know legit arm issues, which I really hope is is something that he can get right. But I mean, we're talking about fastball spin, you know, uh, the life just totally off of his pitches. Like that's really what did him in last year. So, Jack, final answer. Peter White Sox, right? White Sox. Real quick, though, why did you guys not alert me to the fact that the White Sox signed Keenan Middleton to a minor league deal on January 16th? Should we spend the last like 15, 20 minutes of the episode on that? No, let's talk about different burger commercials. Let's get that out of the way before we get to Keenan, whatever his last name is. Major bag alert on the minor league free agent deal for Keenan Middleton. (laughs) We're wrapping it all around. Next question, (laughs) Arm. Bo Bichette shook off a slow first half by going nuclear in the second half last season, slashing 337, 378, 543 with a 163 WRC plus. His strong finish gave him a 4.5 F war on the season. Wander Franco played 83 games, accumulating a 2.3 F war, putting him on pace for a roughly a 4.5 F war. Of course, injuries cut his season short. Who posts the higher win total or F war in 2023? Now, I think instantly you'd think Wander, oh, he was hurt half the season, whatever. But if Bo Bichette extrapolated his second half, he probably has a six war season. So it's a little bit more nuanced, I think, than you may think. And at the end of the day, is Wander going to play enough games to keep up with Bichette? Obviously, Wander's ceiling is a little higher. Very interested to see what you guys think. Wander Franco. I hate this question because these are two of my favorite shortstops. Why wander? Why wander without hesitation when, again, may I read you what Bo Bichette did in the second half? 163 WRC plus. I can't get second half F4 in front of me. I'd assume that three of those 4.5 wins came from that second half at least. So if you extrapolate that or even close to that, I think he's closer to a five, five and a half. Um, yeah, and, and this is a young guy that's still learning and getting better every single year as well. Yeah, what was the first half WRC plus? I think 105, if I remember correctly. 105. Okay, so baseball season is a really long season. It's six months of nonstop ball, so you're going to have ebbs and flows. And obviously, that was a peak for Bo Bichette in the second half. It was a valley in the first half. So I, I think that with everything normalizing, Wander Franco's baseline is higher than Bo Bichette. Fair. Bo Bichette, 5.1 F4 in 2021 as well. Yeah, you know what I'm... We do this. I do this. Every baseball fan does this. We give the guy credit before he's earned it. And Wander Franco, in terms of a talent, should be a five-war guy. But let's see you do it. We ranked Freddie over Vladdy last year. Even though Vladdy almost won the Triple Crown, we said Freddie has done it year over year. 
he is the guy that should be ranked above him. When we come out with our top tens, Bo Bichette will be above Wander Franco. And Bo Bichette should be the answer here. Now, you could break down the game and make a very good argument for Wander Franco because from a talent perspective, it's hard to find a better one when it comes to defense, when it comes to offense. But Bo Bichette is a special hitter. He is not just a great hitter. He has a special way about hitting. And even if he gives you average defense, he's the type of guy who could be the best hitting shortstop in the league. That's how good I feel the bat is. I'm going with Bo Bichette. Yeah, so what I will say here is you say Bo Bichette's a special hitter and Wander Franco's not a special hitter. No, that is not what I said. You're taking words out of my mouth. No, you said Bo Bichette's a special special hitter hitter almost as the separator between Bichette and Wander Franco. And might I remind you that every stop in minor league baseball, 159 WRC+, 155, 157, 120, first taste of major league baseball as a 20-year-old, a 126 WRC+, and two and a half F war in 70 freaking games. Has he he's ever a been a better hitter? baseball player? Has he ever been in? Yes, he's a special baseball player, but Bo Bichette, I think, is a better hitter. Has Warner Franco in major league time ever been a better hitter than Bo Bichette? No. You're not like, give me an answer, you fool. He's played 153 games over two years. And we're putting him over Boba Shett, who continues to put up incredible offensive numbers besides the Valley. We saw Marcus Semyon put up a Valley. You were just saying, oh, he could go nuclear. And I agree. And Boba Shett is in that same breath, even though he's playing shortstop. And I only think the defense is going to get better. I don't think it's going to get worse because he's still so quick there. It's not like he has a lack of range. It's the arm that's been garbage. He just throws it into the dirt. He throws it over his head. I feel like one of these years, he's going to figure that out while putting up a one 30, 140 WRC plus. I don't know if Wander has the ceiling of offense that Bo Bichette does. I really don't. Wander Franco, 153 games, majority of which in an injury hampered 2022 season, a 121 WRC plus 4.7 F war an 8% walk rate in 11% K rate. Okay. So you say, you want me to pull up Bo Bichette's offensive numbers? I say Wander. I, it's gonna I, be I close. say Bo. It's going to be super close, um, and I think it, it's going to largely be on you know whether. Can I say Shet one more can, thing, Arm? Yeah, Ar- Jack is talking about this one twenty one WRC plus, like Bobichet with a Valley. Jack admitted with a Valley was a one twenty nine WRC plus guy last year. One twenty nine. Wander's twenty one and could get better. Wander yeah. is 21. Yeah, he easily could get better. And I'm a Wander guy. You're you're pitting me against two of my favorite shortstops. But let's not pretend Bo Bichette is 30. He's 24. He's 24. He's got three years on him. Give me Bo Bichette. I think there's no wrong answer. That's why I asked it. No, there I'm is. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think both are. It's going to be really down to the health of Wander, I think, for me. And that's really tough. But uh, I, I'm excited to see how much power Wander is going to hit for because that's the big factor. Bichette lifts the ball and does damage, right? Hits a ton of doubles. Uh, like, can can Wander match that kind of slugging output? All right. Bichette has missed six games in two years. That's also a big part of the F4 thing, right? 159 games, 159 games, back-to-back years. Pretty Pretty remarkable stuff right there. Nine teams won less than 70 games last year. The Tigers, the Royals, the Nationals, the Marlins, the Athletics, the Reds, 
the Pirates, the Rockies, and the Rangers. Besides the Rangers, leaving them out for obvious reasons, which team is most likely to win 80 games next season? Mm. So I'll walk you through the names again as you think for the listeners who you know, may not have the standings in front of them. Nine teams won less than 70 games last year. Tigers, Royals, Nationals, Marlins, Athletics, Reds, Pirates, Rockies, and Rangers were eliminating the Rangers because they're the only team of this group that signed a Hall of Famer and a bunch of other dudes and have spent trillions of dollars. So remove them from this group. Who is most likely to win 80 games? Uh, most likely none of them will. But you could you could go a few different directions here. You could eliminate some teams off the bat, like the Athletics. Uh, I think you can pretty much Nationals. You can you can just throw them right out right in the garbage. Um, yeah. But I have my answer. Tigers, I think you can punt them. Royals, I think you can yeet them. Um, but I have my answer. Can I answer? get my answer? Let's go. Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati I, I, Reds. I, I, I fucking knew that. It has I to be the Cincinnati Reds because none of these other teams have the top end potential. And I'm not saying that the Reds are going to win 80 games, but if you look at top end potential with the Cincinnati Reds, a top three in the rotation of Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, and Graham Ashcraft could all be very, very good. Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green have both flashed a stuff. And when Graham Ashcraft has his command and he's keeping the ball on the ground, this guy is electric. Then you have one of the best up and coming closers in Alexis Diaz in the back end. I'm not going to speak about the rest of the bullpen because it's not particularly good. And then offensively, one of the better catchers in baseball in Tyler Stevenson, one of the better second baseman in baseball in Jonathan India. You guys know I'm a big believer in Spencer Steer, one of the best farm systems so they could bring guys up. This team has stars in waiting. And if they all put it together this year, I'm not saying they all will, but if they all do, this team could be very competitive and might I say even compete with the Cubs. So I think the Reds are the answer here. I'm a Red Stan. I think the Reds, I will be on their overwin total. They are getting undervalued in the market, and they're actually a decent team. Jack? I say this not as a company man, but as an objective baseball thinker. I think the Pittsburgh Pirates might be the team to do it. The Pirate. Let me tell you why. Brian Reynolds is still on the team <laughs> as of yeah. right now. Like Brian Reynolds is still a Pittsburgh pirate. Doesn't sound so, like he's going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm. let me walk you through the top six in that lineup. O'Neill Cruz at short. Brian Reynolds in center. Key Brian Hayes at third. G-Man Choi at first. Andrew McCutcheon in left. Carlos Santana, the DH. It's not good. You should have stopped at the top three. Top but, three is like kind of kind of kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of lit, right? But like uh, Carlos Santana, like he might not suck next year, right? Like he had flashes in he Seattle. Wa- he walks his way to a one hundred two WRC plus every exactly. Choi is like serviceable. Here's the thing: in that top six, at some point this year, you're adding Andy Rodriguez and, and Austin Hedges is going to move from the starting catcher to the backup catcher. Tyler Heineman will be off the roster and Andy's going to be in there. You've got a great underrated utility bat in G1 Bay. Yeah, you know, I say he's going to start at second, I think, over Castro. Pretty, pretty. Quickly. I hope so. I hope so. Bay is 
very, very good. You've got bench bats in Connor Joe and Cal Mitchell, who are very, very serviceable. And then that rotation, Rolanzi Contreras, his first year of Major League Baseball, it's not good. Like, it's not yeah. good. Rich Hill, Mitch Keller looks like Nolan Ryan again. We're not, we're, we're not we're not fucking doing the Mitch Keller thing hey, again this hey, year. No 98 to 101 time, right now. That time of the offseason where I'm kind of buying into Mitch Keller again. Oh. Okay, so all right. So, right. So Rowanzi and Mitch Keller, you've got Priester and Mike Burroughs that are going to be in double A. Luis Ortiz looks Luis like Ortiz. he's ready to go. And Aram, I know you love Luis Ortiz. And then you've got a bullpen. With some guys that can throw in there. The all-star, David Bednar. How about Will Crow? How about Harleen Garcia? How about Yeri De Los Santos, who is a young bullpen arm? I think if, if something's going to click for all of these bad teams, it might be the Pirates because they had a pretty decent offseason. I didn't know where they were going after signing Santana and Choi back-to-back. But like, it kind of sort of makes sense now. Yeah, so I, I think the, my two picks would be Reds or Pirates or, you know, I think I think the Marlins are an acceptable answer given that they have the Cy Young winner. But I, you know, I think there's more upside with some of these other teams. It, it really depends, too, though, because these lineups all have more exciting potential. But on the Marlins side, it's like, OK, if Sandy is Sandy again and the rest of the arms are the way that we think they can be. Lineup can't be worse. Where do they finish? That's that's an interesting side of things as well. For me, the bullpen's a major issue right now, though. If they sign Alex Reyes, do something else, maybe the Marlins could be a pick. The thing that gets me excited about the Pirates is, is if O'Neill Cruz is, and these are big ifs, right? But I think it's a big if yeah. for any of these teams to get to 80 wins. So we have to be very, very hypothetical. O'Neill Cruz being even 70% of his ceiling, all-star. Brian Reynolds yeah. being closer to Brian Reynolds two years ago, which I think he's going to try to play his way out of there, all-star. Yeah. Brian Hayes, we all think can be a, a breakout guy next year. Borderline all-star. all-star with the glove, right? So like they they could have like a three-headed monster at the top. And then we we know the other pieces they have. Rowanzi Contreras, Luis Ortiz, big X factors for me. With with what Peter said, though, you get the one-two punch with the Reds. That's going to be unmatched amongst all of these other teams besides the Marlins. And, and the lineups, no slouch. Uh, and and they've got something? guys that they're going to bring up. No. If Ellie De La Cruz somehow gets his way up there by midseason – then we've got a legit, legit case here. Um, I think both these teams are going to be pretty close, uh, and I'm very interested to see how things play out for both of them. I think that the Reds are a little bit more balanced because I really don't like this rotation uh, for, for the Pirates, but it could be worse. I do believe in Ortiz. Talk about balance in the lineup for the Cincinnati Reds. If everything goes right. Now, don't kill me. If everything goes right. I've counted eight guys who could have a 750 OPS or above. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Let me run through them. TJ Friedel, and I'm I'm cutting off the Friedel. <laughs> you don't even know. TJ Friedel is projected to have a 740 OPS next year by Fangraphs. Bullshit. He is. 326 OBP, 417 slugging. Bullshit. Jonathan India could be that guy. Yeah. Joey Votto could be that guy. Yeah. Tyler Stevenson could be that guy. TJ Friedel is projected to be that guy. Will Myers could be that guy. Jake Fraley is projected to have a 752 OPS. Spencer Steer could have a seven, will have a 750 OPS because he's a stud, probably 800. Kevin Newman, we're not going to count him. That's fair. We're not going to count him. And Nick Senzel, no shot. I count four. (laughs) If everything goes right, I count four. No, but that's what will probably happen. You if everything goes right with TJ Friedel, 
He's pr- what? These are Fangraphs projections. These aren't <laughs> even like, oh, just off the top of my head, he slashed 240, 283. Well, Fangraphs said it. Yeah. I'm not. That's these are projections. So you could see these guys do it. All I'm Never saying trust is the math, man. The Go Reds, with your intestines. Uh, my intestines love the Reds. I will be your under intestines a intestines. TJ Friedel love they think your Friedel. intestines love think Nick Jake Senzel's Friedel. an 890 OPS guy. I, that's <laughs> no, what you're I heard. taking words out of my mouth oh, again. Nick Senzel's an MVP according to your lower intestine. Spencer Steer is the MVP according to my lower intestines. Nick Senzel will be a contributor. According to my intestines, TJ Antone will win the reincarnation of the Rolaids <laughs> Relief Award. Dude, he's not bad. Let's he's not nasty. Pretend. He just can't say healthy. He Lucas say Sims, healthy. not bad. Reaver San Martin, when he, when he actually was a bullpen guy, good. Rotation, one of the worst starters I've ever seen. I think he had like an 8-9-7 ERA. Yeah, no, no. He, he was we, the we, auto fade auto whenever fade. he started. Auto but fade. as a six-inning lefty, average. And I'll take that. Tony Santillian, Santillan, Santillan, you have nothing to say about him. Might as well let me move on to question seven. He is American bullshit ever. All right, let Orem ask the next question. He's projected to have over nine K or nine Ks uh, per nine. So, say what you want. It's lit. (laughs) It's lit. Seventeen or sorry, question seven. Four teams won a hundred games last year: Mets, Braves, Astros, Dodgers, and Mets. You know, I, I, or excuse me. So it's Braves, Mets, Astros, Dodgers, Yankees were at 99. So they just missed it. Four teams. Will that number rise or fall next year? Which teams repeat, fall off, or join the group if that's the case? So something that I just want to talk about before we even get into which teams could do it is I am curious if, because teams won't be playing their division as much anymore with the schedule changes, I wonder if that helps or hurts. And I don't necessarily know maybe playing your division, the the familiarity, but the familiarity is on both sides. Teams come to play like an August game, Yankees, Red Sox. The Yankees are going to come to play more than an August game, Yankees, Reds, even though the Reds might be as good as the Red Sox. Just kidding. Red Sox fans relax. But I also there's something in my intestines that makes me say it. Um so I'm actually curious, you guys, what do you think? Does that hurt or does that help teams like the best teams? I'm not I sure. I think it hurts. You think it hurts? Okay. Yeah. Why? I think it hurts because you see a bunch of other good teams. Like if you see the bottom of your division all the time in a weak division, like you're going to get, you're going to rack up the wins, right? I mean, think about, think about Atlanta and the Mets. They saw the Washington Nationals often. They but were always- horrible. I always feel like those teams, though, but they also had to see them because Mets they the come to play Braves, Phillies like they had to see each other. Those yeah. three teams had to see each other a lot. AL East Yankees had to see the Jays, the Rays, even, you know, like the, the Orioles were were not a rollover at points last year. And like, do you know how many how many betters take Astros minus one and a half against the A's and they lose that game because the A's just weirdly come to play? I almost think it helps. The best teams. I'm interested, but it definitely makes it more spread out to where you can't just have certain teams feasting on on their horrible division. You know, one team being far and away the best. So, I mean, I, I think we look at the the Braves and the Mets. I think it's it's going to be close with both of those teams, right? The Dodgers won 111, uh, but I think there's some deficiencies that they have, or at least 
relatively speaking, compared to last year. And then the Astros are the freaking Astros. Yankees were one game away, are basically running it back with the same team plus Carlos Rodon and some other solid pieces. What's the final answer here? Jack? I think the number drops. And here's the take. I think for the first time in what feels like eons, the LA Dodgers don't win 100 games. I think these deficiencies are crazy. Like, they don't really have a shortstop right now. They're so crazy, they'll only win 98 games. Like that's Yeah, but I mean... I know, but you're right, though. Like, that's that's a drop-off. I don't think this is an 100-win team. With Walker Bueller out for the entire year, that really, really hurts. Yeah, and their depth is going to be tested. Like, with the Bobby Millers of the world. And their depth right now is Jason Hayward. Yeah, I mean, it's not nearly as good as it was in previous years, but if you know anything, the Dodgers betting against them in the regular season has not been a good recipe. But at the same time, this team has been much better in previous years. So when I was going through it, Arm, when you were listing all the options, the only three teams that I see winning 100 games are the Astros, the Braves, and the Mets. And we're going to get to like World Series predictions, and the more I look at the Braves roster resource and the more I look at these projections, like I think they're going to win the World Series. So can I throw one more team in there? If it does hold it for, I think it's not the Yankees that get to 100 wins. I think it's St. Louis that gets to 100 wins. No shot. You're you're on crack. I I might be on their under win total at 88 and a half. Yeah, I I do like drugs, but I I could see the Cardinals as an 100 win team. Last question. With that pitching. How are they going to do that? Was Wayne going to win 20 and Michaelis wins 20? No, let's stay on this. Why do you think that? Because they've got balls and yeah, they do. No, I, I think that lineup could be the best lineup in baseball. I think and they the can put up the best. best yeah, best I mean, they're the best defense of the best lineup. They're one of the best bullpens in baseball. Like, if they do attack the trade deadline effectively, or if they attack, you know, the May trade market effectively, and they do get a frontline guy or a two, I think there's enough pedigree in the rotation for them to succeed. Like Adam That's Wainwright. Right. His peripherals may not be great, but if we've learned anything over over like the last freaking 40 years of Adam Wainwright baseball, it's that he knows how to pitch. Like he knows how to win games. Miles Michaelis may not have a, a great FIP, knows how to win games, right? Jordan Montgomery, that guy can win games. So well, yeah. I, that's the well, thing. what I, I will really... say is you could get 30 starts for Matthew Libertor and Dakota Hudson. How many of those do they possible? Win? But the rotation, I think, is better than it was last year overall, right? And Quintana, you add, yeah, I get. But they added Quintana later, right? And That's they what I'm saying. To Quintana, they're yeah. getting a full season of Jaymont now, who's going to be, yeah. I think, very, very big for them. They add, mm-hmm. well, they won 93 games. Add Wilson Contreras. Add Jaymont for a full season. Add Tyler O'Neill. Hopefully, Dylan Carlson makes a leap. It'll, it'll be really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if they can continue to circumvent. And- is pitching and also Yadier Molina was like the worst player in Major League Baseball last year, like, right? Realistically speaking, like their catching situation was a black hole, and yeah, now but not defensively. Like I wonder how those these pitchers they go to Wilson Contreras, who is still even last year from Yadi a worse defender. I'm curious. Uh, it, I think Yadi to Wilson overall, when you factor in how stark of a difference that was offensively, I think Yadi to Wilson is an upgrade for the yeah, St. Louis it Cardinals. Is. DWRC plus. It's just, isn't that like as a gambler, as a, that's crazy. 50 WRC plus for Yanni. But (laughs) doesn't, when Vegas comes out and, you know, Vegas is pretty good at doing these kinds of things. When they come out with an 88 and a half. No, it's definitely concerning. And they won 93 games last year. It seems so obvious to take the over. 
and it never is in gambling. I know. I don't it know. It's interesting. It is, it is an interesting red flag. It's an interesting one. Final question. Rank the Twins pitching staff. <laughs> Bunch of same dude. Rank them. Um, and, and for the listener that may not have like roster resource like queued up right now, I'll give you the list of pitchers we have to choose from so that those listening can can rank themselves. Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Tyler Malley, Kenta Maeda. And then if you're really high on Bailey Ober, you, you could theoretically rank him. Are we ranking based on talent? Because I think Sonny Gray is the most talented, but I just don't know. Who are the best pitchers next year? Like, like one through five. Talent. Not like who I think is going to throw 180 innings. Like if Sonny Gray throws 90 innings at a 3-2 and Pablo throws 180 at a 3-7, like Sonny Gray was better, but Pablo Lopez gave you the better season because he pitched longer. Like, what do we mean? Just talent? Who's their one? Who's their two? Who's their three? Who's their four? Who's their five? Okay. I'll go Sonny Gray number one. Okay. Sonny Gray number one. Pablo number two. Joe Ryan number three. Mally number four. Maeda number five. (laughs) You and fan graphs, baby. Yeah, that's what Roster Resource has. <laughs> I think it's accurate. Um, all right. Pablo Lopez is the one. Mm. I'll go Joe Ryan is the two. Ooh. I'll go Gray is the three. Mm. I'll go Simeon Woods Richardson is the four. Shut the fuck up. I'm serious. I'll go Maeda as the fifth. And I'll go Mally as the sixth. I think I think there's a chance that Mally might just stink. And Simeon Woods Richardson jumps in and runs with it. I don't know how you can say that. I love Tyler. Wow. Yeah, I I I, I don't know how you can say that arm. Do you agree, Arm? Sonny Gray had a 308 ERA last year, 120 yeah. innings. He's good. I could I could understand the case of Pablo over Sonny just because Pablo's you know, been just did it last year, right? And Sonny continues to get hurt. And we're talking about injury issues, like still Pablo's able to to put together, you know. So we're ranking on talent. We're ranking on like who the ace is and ace is a little bit of availability too. Like I'm not going to give him credit for having a 308 when it was in, you know, 119 innings. And then the year before that, he had a 419 in 135 innings. It wasn't Cincinnati. I would still give Sonny Gray the nod though, as like the, the quote unquote ace, I think um, just with, with just who he is kind of and, and what he's capable of. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Pablo kind of leap him uh, by by some point this season. I, I would probably still go Gray one though, because and Gray has that ace pedigree at points. He was he was that guy, and I think Pablo is still trying to like prove that he's you know in the front more than the middle of a rotation. So I would go Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, um, yeah, Tyler Malley, just like Ross Resource. I would go. Somebody over Kenta Maeda. I don't really like Kenta Maeda. So I, SWR. I, I think I think Bailey Ober is better than Kenta Maeda, and I know they're going to keep Kenta Maeda in the rotation. But I would put Bailey Ober or SWR over Maeda uh, in, in that rotation personally. Like Mally in twenty twenty one had a three seven five ERA in Cincinnati with two hundred and ten Ks in one hundred and eighty innings, and then last year he was just split between the Reds and the Twins banged up a little bit. I think he comes back and he's a very solid pitcher. I think he's going to be around a three or a four. Jack. And I, I think, I think Joe Ryan's really freaking good. I Joe agree. No, I think Joe Ryan is the above best him. Of this bunch, but I think, I just is- think you we're underrating Mally. I really like him. I like, I believe I me. I, I think Jack is 
crazy for how harsh he was on Maui there. Tyler Malley has thrown over 100 innings four times. 498 ERA, 514 ERA, 375 and 21, and then 44 ERA and 22. That's that's also a great counterpoint. <laughs> you nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I will say Blast Pablo is in a turtleneck on a Saturday. I'm a fucking dork. Pablo Sorry. versus Sonny is an interesting conversation. We want to talk about projections. Sonny, 399 projection in 148 innings. Pablo, 378 projection in 171 innings in terms of ERA. Uh, Pablo, I don't believe their projections, though. Uh, only when they fit my narrative. <laughs> that's facts. I like Good. that. Yeah, I like that. You know, um, that's how that's how 45 was with data. Actually, I'm going Pablo. I'm going Pablo one. I'm going Pablo one. Good. Yes. Pablo, Sonny, <laughs> Joe Ryan, Mally, and then yeah, my slash. Oh, I prefer over, <laughs> but over. I like that. We're kind of wrapping up the Marlins twins trade in a little bit like the Twins just traded for their best pitcher, and they could have a top ten rotation. That's how good Pablo Lopez is in your mind. I mean, he was top thirty in F four last year and had like a blow up second half since the start of twenty twenty. Pretty much among the best forty and and almost any p- pitching statistic you want to pull. Uh, but the Marlins did very well in the trade. Meh, yeah, they did okay. Brave strength is their rotation. It's really good. Sorry, we forgot that. <laughs> very, very sorry. They got really good pitchers, and the team is really good, and they're contenders. So, um, yeah, wanted to just make sure we plugged that part in. I, I think that that could be a really good one through five. If Mike Soroka is 70% of what Mike Soroka has been in the past, he's one of the best fives in baseball. If Ian Anderson can regain something close to his form, he's one of the best fives in baseball. Speaking of the best fives in baseball, Leo Morgenstern just put out a great piece on JustBaseball.com of all of the best five starters in baseball. Go check that out. Um, that's it from me. That's all my questions. Fun Saturday episode. Great questions, Arm. Make sure to get your Just Baseball merch in the episode description. Uh, remember, if you want to use prize picks, code is still up. Use code Just Baseball or code Just Gridiron. We're going to be doing season-long player props, and you can get some free money to play along with if you use that code. When you download prize picks, use Just Baseball or code Just Gridiron. If you put in 50, you get 50. If you put in 100, you get 100. If you put in 10, you get 10. They match your deposit. Um, again, so much stuff happening on JustBaseball.com. We're going to keep you guys rolling. We have World Baseball Classic content coming. We have top tens coming. And if you have been enjoying the content during the off season, where we're giving you four episodes a week, well, most po- baseball podcasts, and you know it and I know it, are giving you one to two maybe episodes a week. We're grinding over here. If you would give us a five-star review, if you've been enjoying the content so far on Apple or Spotify, and if you're watching this on YouTube, what's up? Braves fans, sorry for forgetting you. I think your rotation is really good, too. I kind of think you're going to win the World Series. So how about leave a comment, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and make fun of Jack's outfit in the comments. There's no great team in college basketball this year, but the 16-3 and Arizona Wildcats, when they run out Ramey, Creesa, Henderson, Tubelis, and Balo with Larson as the six, they have a chance to win the national championship. It starts this afternoon against the UCLA Bruins in Tucson. UCLA Moneyline. And with that, thank you, everybody.